forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and fed up with Gabby's bullshit. <laughs> Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and I said a thing before this uh, recording started that Alice <laughs> could not handle. Do you want okay. to tell people what you said? <laughs> I have eczema on my fingers and it's like it's peeled my fingers and it looks terrible. And I was like, well, you know, it's OK because God made me so hot that they <laughs> had to give me eczema to humble me. Mm-hmm. Um, and Allison put her head in her hands <laughs> and is trademark over it. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say overall, um, I, I don't know how to make it stop. Um, I don't know yeah. how, to, how to rein you in. So now I just sort of let you go without me interacting with it at all until you sort of wear yourself out. Yeah, that's fair. I think another thing that was given to me to offset my beauty is my personality. <laughs> uh-huh. Welcome to Just Between Us. This is a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games and brutal honesty. And we are coming at you on a Friday because as of this week, JBU is in your podcast app twice a week, baby. Twice, 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 twice. We split up the show because I I enjoy when shows are split up. And also our show kept getting kind of longer and longer. Yeah. <laughs> it started off as like a 45 minute show that is now a solid hour and a half. So we've decided yeah. to split it up into two delightful days for your downloading pleasure. Yeah, we wanted to give you more. And also, I personally enjoy when there's two episodes of a show because I'm a little bit of a how do you do that? So I'm like, they'll like be two episodes and I'm like, ooh, two episodes. It's the same length. <laughs> But I'm like, ooh, it's Christmas. I feel like within a few weeks, each episode will be an hour and a half. But I know. We'll, we'll try to rein it in for you guys. Um, yeah. So on Friday's episodes are the episodes where we are going to be joined by an incredible guest and ask them a bunch of tough questions and then force them to participate in America's favorite game show, Hypotheticals. Mm-hmm. If you hop skip back to our Wednesday episode, it's that's where we did international question. That's where we did topics. That's where we rated the episode with Melissa DeMonts, our um, just excellent producer. I wanted to say illustrious. Does that feel yeah. right? Famous, very famous producer. Very, fa- very influential. Ve- yeah. Like, I feel like she's what you'd call a tastemaker. Oh, yes. Okay, so one time, one of my exes, told me that one of his exes had said to him in all seriousness, do you think I'm a tastemaker? (laughs) What was her job? We made a lot lot of fun of that. (laughs) That is only acceptable if her job is a chef. Oh, very clever. Unfortunately, not a chef. Then she's not a tastemaker, baby. Oh, wow. I wonder if chefs should change their bios to tastemakers. Absolutely. Tastemaker and tastemaker. See, that's the kind of unbearable thing I would do if I was a chef. (laughs) All right, maybe we should just dive into this incredible episode before I leave. (laughs) I leave in protest of your arrogance. (laughs) We are very excited for this week's 
to uh, not even this week's this Friday's episode. We're gonna have to start <laughs> saying that. Oh yeah, we're gonna be asking Fatima Iqbal Zubair some tough questions. All about education. She's a public school teacher turned community activist slash candidate for the California State Assembly. Yeah, we look. This show is serious business. <laughs> <laughs> At least we are able to convince serious people to be on our show. I don't know I'm, if it's a serious show. I'm proud of us every time we do it. <laughs> Stick around after this short break and we'll dive right into tough questions. Just between us. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, our guest is Fatima Iqbal Zubair. Fatima Iqbal Zubair was born in Dubai, United Arab Emigrants, and she has worked as a private tutor, a public school teacher, and a community advocate. She's been affiliated with the Watts Rising Leadership Council and the 501 Political Action Organization Sunrise Movement, which I follow on Instagram. Uh, thank you for being our guest. Thanks so much for having me. How do you describe yourself when someone says, what do you do? What do I do? I know it's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like my head has all these thoughts going in because there's so many things that I do. Like, right. you know, my life isn't so simple right now. So what's near and dear to my heart is still like the robotics team that I created. So I still, you know, make time to mentor them uh, in outreach where we're actually starting a podcast. So <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's something fun I'm working on. And then it's always like, you know, organizing um, in different spaces. So I'm currently running for, you know, ADEM delegate on a slate for assembly districts. It's basically delegates to the Democratic Party. And then I'm also organizing, you know, uh, with Sunrise and, and different other groups. So it's just a, it's just a lot of things going on right now. Can you sort of talk about how what you saw while you were uh, in public education sort of inspired you to to realize you needed to, like, maybe make change Um like at a larger scale. Yeah. 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 I can definitely. And like one thing I did want to add from your last question was a lot of my time now is actually spent my, with my son as well, because, he, you know, with homeschooling and distance yeah. learning, um, he's he's on the spectrum. And so, you know, what I, I can't imagine how it is for a lot of families at home right now who have to be essential workers. And I have the privilege of at least being in Zoom school with him a few days, which is, you know, really helpful. But that takes up a lot of my, my day too. But um, yeah, so I just, I know a lot of people out there probably feeling that same struggle with kids. But you started off as, as a teacher, right? And then yes. can you sort of talk about how what you saw while you were in public education sort of inspired you to, to realize you needed to like maybe make change like At a larger scale, yeah. A big reason, you know, I, yeah, I decided to run. It wasn't like this is going to be, you know, my political future mapped out, you know, like I think there's a show like that out there right now, right? Like where, I, I wasn't, you know, from a family, you know, of politicians or anything or anything like that. It was really like this anger that I felt um, where I felt like I could only do so much. I could I, I could affect a group of students over the course of the years or I could try to be in a position where I can really affect change for a lot of low income communities and black and brown communities. And it got to like that point for me because there were issues of unclean water in school. You know, there were issues of trying to bring programs, but never having enough funding. And like, even with my robotics team, there were issues of robotics teams like being created around us and we're being like shut down just because a lot of low-income communities don't have the funds, you know, mm -hmm. um, that parents and other communities can contribute to or the districts have. And so that was really my big push into wanting to run, seeing that I was coming up against a lot of roadblocks and then seeing that that type of systemic action 
wasn't really being taken, mm-hmm. you know, by my current representative and a lot of local officials. So that's really what uh, got me to run. Can you talk a little bit more about the fact that there wasn't even clean water in your school? Yes. Basically, you know, um, a lot of Watts is, 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 a, is a very historic community for many reasons um, in terms of just the history of what it means in LA in terms of going through the Watts riots, but to zone it in on like, you know, the schools in Watts, and it's just not my school, by the way, there's other schools in Watts and Compton that have, and and Wilmington that have issues of um, unclean water. And what it is, is because a lot of times, like, you know, my school that I worked at and um, a lot of schools aren't built following environmental code. And so a lot of the pipes, right, are very old and, and there's a lot of chemical runoff. And so that's, that's what was happening at, at my school. And, you know, I found it, really unsettling, like for the simple fact that we were drinking, you know, filtered water, the teachers um, had always had filtered waters. And I was on the third floor and we would, and I was, I became conscious of the fact that, you know, whenever I want to even make tea or anything, I would be apprehensive to drink the water fountain water. Sometimes right. I would sometimes, and I, I, but I wouldn't most of the time, but it just became this really inequitable thing where our students were drinking that every day. Right. Mm-hmm. And we weren't, and it's, a big, I, you notice your privilege, right. <laughs> Sense of like, why mm-hmm. just because I have a, you know, and so to me, clean water is a human right. And a big part of that, like I said, is the pipes. So the Jordan Downs area in general, when the projects were built near the school, it was built on top of a old steel factory. And so there was a lot of like chemical, you know, chemicals in the soil already. And that, so it affected just the soil quality. And even when they were de- redeveloping there um, in Watts, they had to put signs around our school that said, oh, there might be lead, there's lead toxicity in the air and things like that, which is ridiculous, right? When you have a group of kids going in and out. And so it's unfortunate um, because yeah, water is probably the most basic thing that anyone right. can need, but, and clean water. And uh, if any state can do it, like we should be the state to do it because there's, there's no reason that we cannot change these pipes. There's no reason that we cannot really clean up environmental toxicity. Like it's a very practical, tangible thing that we should be doing. Can you talk a little bit about the population of Watts or Compton? And, and you mentioned the riots. So just a brief, like for our listeners, what what that is? You know, I started my campaign uh, talking about systemic racism and breaking the chains of systemic racism. And now it's like this rallying cry because of Watts, right? So Watts and Compton, historically, everyone hears in the news about the gang issues and, you know, the policing and and things like that. But I guess what they what they don't hear about is, yeah, the history and the culture. So there were like two sets of, you know, riots that really happened. And I'm by no means an expert on them. But, you know, um, there were there was one in the 90s and one earlier on. And they were both basically brought on by, you know, police brutality issues. And, um, you know, one was a Rodney King tragedy. Mm-hmm. But um, so basically, Watts has had these uprisings because of police brutality. It's been in the history of this community. And, you know, now it carries through, you know, when you talk to folks from Watts and people in the community, the relationship of the police, you know, to the landlords and the property owners is still there. And that kind of, when someone, like when people share that with me, it's really troubling because that's what happened when there were slave owners, like, you know, the, when, when there were police and the slave owners would talk to the police to figure out where, you know, the slaves were running off to where they were to ca- be able to catch them and keep an eye on them, you know. And unfortunately, it's what's happening now, too. It's this relationship between the landowners and the police. And um, and it's true that there is more policing in certain areas. I know of students that are walking home and they laugh about it. But I'm like, you know, that's what it's, it's crazy. It's the kids laugh about it because they're so used to it. Mm-hmm. You know, that they just get stopped, they get harassed um, because of the color of their skin. Like, it's not just something 
I'm saying or that we see, like, this is actually what, what happens, what I heard day in and day out, you know, from my students. And there was police even at my school, like they started doing like random searches, you know, and, and, yeah. and I, I, I imagine being a teaching and getting a call, oh, bring the student downstairs. They were selected to be randomly searched. When you know the student intimately, where they're like a human being, you know, and right. it's like, I have to be like, oh, you need to go down and to be random. Like, it's just it was so dehumanizing. And that's, again, a reason why I stepped out, because it's not fair to, to put it simply, criminalize, you know, our children, and especially in a, in a space like school, there should not be police. And I was so normal for me to see police in and out for things that kids shouldn't need police intervention for at all. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. yeah, that was the norm in Watts. And it's, it's not right. You know, it needs to change. And so everyone, it's just, a, it's just like open secret or not even a secret that this water is toxic and that they're Mm. still giving it to students like Mm. what is going on in the community where not that it's accepted but that like people have sort of been like well this is what we're given it's it's racism they're just used to racism yeah it is a lot of that and like i remember even just talking about like the lead toxicity and i I remember the moments that i hear it allison because yeah i i we don't take it for granted, but I think a lot of that is a point of my privilege where I, I haven't had the, I've had been able to have access to clean water, but mm-hmm. you're absolutely right, Gabby. It's like, it is that it's the fact that like, well, it's always been this way, you know, and what's going to change. And the thing is a lot of the long-term effects of water quality are not really seen. It's not like you can drink a sip of water, unclean water and get sick the same day. Right. But when you look at the statistics of Watts, when you look at infant mortality rates, rates of asthma and cancer, it's higher than anywhere else in L.A. County. And Watts is such a small community. But that speaks volumes to like the long term effects of how Mm -hmm. this is affecting our kids, even in terms of, you know, lethargy, energy Mm -hmm. levels, them Mm -hmm. getting sick more often and missing school. Like there are so many um, effects that can be measured public health wise. And the thing is, day to day, if that has been your life, you might not you know, you might be like, well, it's happening. You know, yeah, my family always tries to get bottled water. I think Watts purchase, spends a lot as a community on bottled water and it in itself is another expense they shouldn't have to spend. They're, and don't get me wrong, Alison, they are organizing. People are aware of it. There are people that are aware of it, but that's the thing. What can you do when you hit against a roadblock where um, you have the people in power who are capable of making the changes who aren't? Right. You keep organizing, you do, but it gets tiring and and, and it gets exhausting and and at the same time you have to keep drinking water you have to keep eating food even if the food isn't healthy all these things have to keep happening like it's it's a matter of survival right and and Mm -hmm. it's like what can you do and sometimes I feel like my kids laugh because humor is a way to deal with things sometimes right it is and and I mean they're they're teenagers what are they supposed to do they're trying to get through school and go to college imagine the stresses of being a young person right there's that in itself is insurmountable sometimes right and so yeah it's just like racism neglect and like it's like genocide it's eugenics it's Mm -hmm. like we don't care about these particular people what does it matter it's the the racist mindset of like well it's just a school of black and brown kids like what are they gonna do it's so infuriating it is yeah and you sort of already touched on this but I, i think this is such an important perspective of like you said you know it's hard enough being an adolescent, we all know that like teenage years are emotionally turbulent. You have the stress of trying to get into college, all of the homework. But then when you're in a community like this, there are so many added stressors on top of it. Right. And so we've kind of touched on some of them, like the water quality and yeah. how that can you speak to any any others that these kids are dealing with that kids elsewhere don't have to deal with? Yeah, for sure. I think the a big part of that is, Allison, is that a lot of almost all my students are first generation, right? College students, mm-hmm. or they will be. And so I remember like 
very strongly, I, like just moments of, you know, my kids getting accepted to college. I remember one of my students when, when I was in, when I was, a, I was a teacher, but I would always spend time on things like test prep with them because they wouldn't be able to have private tutoring. And <laughs> that in itself is like, well, the inequity of like the SATs. And I'm glad right. a lot of schools are removing them. But that's one of the other things I, you start realizing as a teacher, like this is such an un- inequitable system. And I, I took SAT classes because I was able to, but what do a lot of these other students do? And so I provided that. But so there's there's the, the issues of, well, yeah, the roadblock of, well, this is a factor that's in consideration. There's also the roadblock of being a, just a first generation college student and being the first in your family and not having resources at home, mm-hmm. you know, because your parents didn't haven't gone to college and they love their kids to death. But how, if they haven't gone through it, they don't know have the information or the resources. And also their parents are just working a lot. A lot of my kids tell me I, we have to go home and make dinner for our siblings. Like their parents either are working overnight or are working two jobs. That's a common scenario. Many, most of my students are from single parent homes. So it's just that those are the the little things that make it difficult. And it's why like, as a teacher, like, you know, I, and, and many other teachers, you know, who are really invested ourselves would come home past dark because we knew that we needed to be like exemplary mentors um, to make sure these kids have what they need to be successful. Because what inspired me the lot, Allison, is I, I always found as a teacher, my kids were always smarter than I ever was in high school. And I feel like it's an economical thing for me because when we don't invest in these communities, we're all missing out because we're missing mm-hmm. the next scientist. We're missing the next artist. Compton in itself, there's so much talent that came out of a place like Compton, right? Mm-hmm. And Watts has so much culture and talent. I found that with my robotics team, like my kids are, you know, I'm a little biased, obviously, because I, I, <laughs> I love them a lot, but I find like their leaps and bounds more resilient. They're, and, 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 and when I provide them resources, and I always think if, if robotics or the ability to learn a code or design wasn't available, and they're so into it, and they're so talented, where would that talent be, right? Like, right. Where, like, they, like there would be no place for them to explore that, or there would be maybe even as not as much inspiration to want to go to college, to find something they're passionate about, because that just was, the outlet wasn't there. And so those are some of the struggles. But, you know, I'm hopeful like that I was able to provide some of those things. You know, my school tried as much as it can to provide those resources, but there was still, like I said, large barriers that were just systemic that we couldn't break like mm-hmm. the water issue, but like also, um, I remember my school had a lot of subs, like paying teachers well in low-income communities. We had some teachers had to leave to public school districts that paid better because, you know, they didn't have another income, right? Mm-hmm. They were single and they couldn't afford rent. And so we also lose the best teachers in these schools. There's a lot of issues. Like when you think about the fact that you were saying, Gabby, like there are black and brown kids in Watts uh, in these schools, why is it that schools even got that way? Exactly. Why can't we? Why? Like that's the, that's the crazy part, right? Why are schools segregated? Mm-hmm. Like, this is the direct way that we don't talk about it of maintaining boundaries, right? Yeah. I I wish part of the reason I love Carson, the community I live in, is that it's one of the few communities that has some of that diversity. And I I had I'll just end with this, you know, just talking about my own son. My son has autism, and but I was very. I really wanted to keep him in public school, even though I knew like even for kids with special needs, it isn't really providing what they need. And there was a point where I had, I pulled him out. I took him to a private school near to where my husband worked in El Segundo, but the school had like, you know, one black kid in like, you know, like 200, 300 kids. It was, and this was when it was in pre-K. And I was like, no, I don't want my kid growing up, like not knowing other people's lived experiences, you know, um, I wanted him to be around just kids from all different backgrounds. And so I brought him back to public school. But what I did was I, you know, unfortunately, his school district didn't have the ability to have an aid for him, which is what he needed. And they had to contract out, but I eventually fought for it and got it. And he now has a great aid. And 
Um, I'm forgetting why I even started talking about my son, but, but, you know, it's, it's just, it's just a resource. Because the options for schooling are so segregated. Right, right. Exactly. And, you know, you have that added benefit of sort of understanding how the education system works. So when you need to fight for that aid or understand the importance of that aid, you maybe have a leg up on these people who maybe English isn't their first language or they don't even know the importance of having an aid for an autistic kid. And so that's just, again, like another barrier and the amount of time it must have taken to be able to fight for that. Is a privilege I had too to able to. Allison, can I add one thing? Because to your point, at the school, I'm not going to mention the name of the school because it's like it's not that the school's fault. It's just you know the way the system is. But I noticed my son was the only kid with autism in the entire elementary school, and I was like, that's odd because you know autism is common. It's it's one in forty some uh, you know boys, especially right. And I was like, this doesn't you know at all right. And and I noticed the teachers didn't have as much experience always. And I was like, what's happening? So I found out like a lot of the kids with autism because of what you said, because the parents are usually don't speak English fluently or because they don't have access to resources, were being funneled to a special needs school. Now mm. severely you know kids that need that need to go there. But like someone like my son, and there's a lot of kids on a spectrum of disability. The right. public school system is meant to provide for them, mm-hmm. but these kids were. Being funneled out and that's not right that's super that's very inequitable you know mm-hmm. and so that's what was happening and yeah i mean i think i think you're so right that so much of it is is like knowing how to navigate these systems so even like when it comes to applying to college how to fill out those financial aid applications mm-hmm. i just was reading a really interesting article for one of my classes about why there's so fewer people of color in stem in undergraduate I, I, and in why they even if they do end up starting that ma- a major in STEM, they end up dropping that major. And a lot of it is because they, you know, they, they don't have, they don't know how to navigate the system. Then they're not given the same opportunities within the system to like mm-hmm. start researching earlier or having the mentorship that they need or just the role models to show, oh, okay, this is a path that I can take. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I think a lot of it is sort of like interventions starting earlier and yeah, I know that 100%. one of the things that you're a big proponent of is is universal pre-K, mm-hmm. right? And and can you talk a little bit about why you think that's so important? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just speaking about my son too, and just like knowing that early intervention for kids, not just kids with special needs, is so important. A large part of their brain, something like 80% is developed in their first five years. And so that's the point, like we need to really be there for our kids from the time they're born to the time they're five or seven is really, really critical. Um you know, and, and one thing I want to just expand on to is the STEM pathway. You know, research has shown that if you don't interest kids in the path you're presented to them early on, mm-hmm. it's going to be too late. It's going right. to be too late. Right. And so, yeah, so the, it, it is just so important. Like to me, you know, we talked about the issue of water, but to me, education is also supposed to be one of those things in society where they always say, if you get your education, right, you can do anything. So that is supposed to be an equalizer, but it's, 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 it's not. not. <laughs> it's really not. I had kids saying this and not to embarrass, you know, my kids at all because it wasn't their fault. I had kids enter 11th grade. I taught 11th grade with like a third grade or sometimes kindergarten reading level. How does mm-hmm. that happen? That a kid's getting to 11th grade, there's 11 years that they've been in school and going to school. Imagine how that kid feels. They feel mm-hmm. like it's their fault. But I know for a fact, if my son didn't get the resources he, he doesn't either, that would have been his story too. It, it just, it, like, think about it, that breaks my heart. And that's why, right? It's because that early time is so important. If you look at in our state, our state funded pre-K, because we have it, but it's severely underfunded, severely. Like I've talked to teachers in some of these programs and they're some of the greatest teachers, but they're like, 
we don't have resources. We don't have aids for special needs kids. We have to, you know, uh, we have to do a lot of this on our own. And we don't have like, you know, our student to teacher ratio is too high because they can't afford more teachers. But then you look at private schools, mm-hmm. right? Private preschools. It's like every kid pays what? Like 50,000. It's like a college tuition. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. So imagine the resources from every kid. I mean, that school's going to have leaps and bounds more. And what's sad is, this is the sad part I hear is that, yes, in, in a young age, but if you... Almost every kid I've talked to from Compton and even a lot of the kids from Watts, their parents drive them or bus them to outside of the district, right? They can't go to their neighborhood school. And and that's just a shame because a school should be a hub and should be accessible and, and should have everything you need for your child. And yeah, so so there's so many reasons why we need, especially schools, you know, good schools starting from a young age, Right. Um, so many reasons. It's a lot of it's related to science and brain development, and 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 the rest of it's related to just the social opportunity and the ability mm-hmm. to to be able to say yes. In like in America, like in our community, education is the great equalizer. We can't say that right now. It's because it's not. You know, our, our system is very segregated and and racial, and does not work for our low income students at all. How do we desegregate schools? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a very good question, Gabby. And you know, one thing I talked about a, a lot was it, ha- it has to do a lot to do with like just redlining and the housing crisis as well, yes. right? It's it's also where folks can afford housing and who can afford that housing. Um, so we have to fix the housing issues. We have to change, you know, some of the zoning laws of where we can really build, build affordable housing everywhere. That's really the solution, right? Because mm-hmm. if you can build, if a family can have a choice as to where they live, that would kind of break this, break this down. Right. I want to say, you know, just like that, the, like, you know, the, the, the issue of, is it that, cause there, there could be this too, cause people bring this up to me too. I'm sure you heard it too. Well, well, if, if, if I'm an Asian person, would I want to go to a community with more Asian people that look like me, right. Would that make me more comfortable or would I not? I, I don't really think that's the issue. It's the issue for white people for sure. It's the yeah. issue for like white people who believe that their child is not going to get the best education or that their child is like, they're not doing their best as a parent or that like somehow I I've, I'm of the mindset that like, if your child is going to thrive, they'll thrive wherever. That's not true. Right. We just learned that that's (laughs) not true for all of these students who are drinking bad water and who have to take on, like the tasks of, of cooking dinner. So they might not be able no, to do their but homework. You have, and- I was going to say you have privilege, right? So if you're like a white person right. and you all of a sudden have your student in a school like that, and you have white privilege to go to the city council and be like, look, this is fucked up. Like that's a way that you can use that. That's a way that you can like tangibly take, take your investment in these communities to like a personal level and like actually do something. And collectively, if more people did that, instead of just calling these schools lost causes, then like there could be like more solidarity community wise around that community rather than like I we lived in a in a neighborhood where my zoned high school in Florida was like Mm. not a good school. Right. Yeah. Meaning that the population was largely black and brown. And so in after elementary school, I was pulled and put into a school somewhere else. But then that by the time my sister started high school, my parents pulled her and she was back in public school because I think they realized the error of their ways. And so that's the kind of thing that 
I think is like so deeply in, ingrained. Yeah, like there's individualism that, versus community. I understand like that in the white community too, but I'm, I can talk about also just myself as an Asian person. I'm not going to say which family member, but I'll give you an example. It's in my community as well, that, that sense of privilege. And, oh, if your school, I'm just going to speak because it's really uncomfortable to speak about, but it's really important for people to hear. Like that sense of like, it's a stereotype, and I, you know, but I, I had an older family member because my son goes to a school that actually is majority of uh, black students. It has a magnet program, and my son, you know, is, you know, he has social things he needs to work on, but academically, like he loves learning. So he got into the magnet program called the public school, and like the teacher's black, and a lot of the kids, almost all the kids are black. There's a couple of white kids. There's, this is why I love Carson, but it, you know, it's just so. There's a couple of white kids. There's a couple of Asian. You know, I think my son's the my son's actually more often. That's the whole other thing. He's a, I adopted him, but but there's my son and there's like, you know, a couple of Latino kids, but majority black. And I remember this older family member uh, walking into the Zoom class saying, oh, like just saying this, like, oh, that's his class. And they're just walking away. Oh, and I'm like, and I, I know what that meant. I, I know what that meant. And it was someone very close. I'm not going to call this person out. On this front. But, but I, I was like, but this is why I've, I've become kind of a rebel with this issue. Cause it's not just a white issue. Like it, it, it ex- I see it in my, the Asian community too. Um, and, and, and that's why I, I make it a point to like immerse my son in these experiences and, and, and call these family members out and I have conversations with them because it's an issue. You're absolutely right. And I'm like, he's having a great experience. He has a great teacher. He's like, you know, there, I don't, I just, it's like, why does it matter? Like, you know, and, and like, why, I don't know. I don't have to I shouldn't even say that. Like it, it it's such deeply ingrained it is, racism it is, and it like, is individualism where it's like a race to the top, right? Like my kids got to be the top of their school so that they can like their white school so that they can go to Harvard or whatever. I feel like parents are taught like, well, you're a bad parent if you don't do that. And like, it's so false. That whole hierarchy is so false. Yeah, it is. And Gabby, I kind of understood your point, what you were saying, because I'm looking at uh, like, this this now right so like my son I, I kept him in public school even though it doesn't have everything he needs but you know but I, I w- I'll fight for the things he doesn't need and the school works with me and it, it's fine it's going great but I think the reason is is my husband and I have the privilege That's of, what I'm um, saying, yeah. of getting him all those things and so you're right if we had white families and more privileged families do this they have the resources to help their kids succeed my kid is, is doing is doing great and a uh, a lot of the families are providing everything they can to make sure their kids succeed. To every parent would yeah. do that and does that anyway. You know, and why not, right? Because now, you know what's what's beautiful is that now that I can provide resources actually in Zoom school sometimes because I'm a teacher, I help the teacher out too. I I share some things and and I can use some of my privilege to provide, right? And yeah. and, and to support and and like I'm I'm for example I'm talking with. Um, uh, some of the teachers locally to help create robotics teams, you know, like uh, I've been doing this that. So, so like the, exactly what you said, Gabby, right? We can, if we have, that's why we need schools that are not segregated because we each have different elements of privilege. Even a, a black family that has more wealth, right? Going to a school with a black family that's poor, even within races, having just kids of families of different incomes is really valuable because, and, and they've done studies, by the way, that show that the kids that come in with more privilege it's better for everyone. It's not just better for the kids that are low income. It's actually better for everyone holistically, academically. It's actually better. You know, I mean, so I don't know why we don't do it, but you're right. It's probably because of these racist structures and the people in power that don't want to see. I want to believe that not all people are like that. I really don't 
think they are. I just think it's the people that have the ability to change these things aren't changing. And things like our voting system are so messed up with the electoral college that mm-hmm. the, our, not everyone's vote is counted mm-hmm. as, as as equally as it should be. So, Look, yeah. if you're a white lady and you got time to go to the PTA meetings and yell at your <laughs> right. white school, Do you that. have time to go to the PTA meetings right. and yell at a, at a school with inclusion. Right, right. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about how how Zoom school has even shown some of these inequalities even more, highlighted them even more? Okay, so the first, you know, issue, of course, is like the, you know, the issue of Internet access and Wi-Fi Mm -hmm. access. Right. When I was even doing my campaign, you know, one of my past students was helping with uh, his Zoom school so I could, you know, focus on the campaign. It's very real. She was saying, like, you know, her mom. The school had given a hotspot. The hotspot is obvi- obviously not high quality because it's, you know, it's, it's just not. And, and it was something for like three weeks where the mom couldn't access it and she had young siblings couldn't access it. So that's a, I wish you had real examples because it's like real people's lives, mm-hmm. like, and their education is being affected. And, and I'm just, yeah, I am really afraid at what COVID has done to exacerbate inequities because I know for a fact, for example, in Watson Willowbrook, it's like 40% of, of folks don't have Wi-Fi access. Like, what do they do? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The school's providing a hotspot, but it's a low quality hotspot and it's not going to be consistent and things like that. Anyway. So that's definitely an inequity. I mean, another thing is, is not having you know, childcare. You know, right. I, I, because my husband, you know, has a good job. I'm able to be with my kid most of the week, help him with his homework. What about if a family has two essential workers? Mm-hmm. I always wonder how this works because I know a lot of, especially like a, a lot of families in my district have young children. I mean, this is, you know, and Latino families are sometimes larger as well. So what did they do? Like they can't afford childcare. Like right now, while I'm having this interview with you, you know, I was able to get childcare. I was emailing you, right? And, and she's with my son right now, you know, but what if a family can't afford that? What do they do? I mean, either the kid doesn't go to school, right? Or was just playing around at home and, or the family member, or they don't have, you know, or the, the family has to let go of a job, right? right. Uh, take time from work. And both of those things are awful. So that's another huge inequity, just not having, you know, state-funded childcare, right? During these times and just always um, is, is, yeah. So that's a huge inequity as well right now. And do you think that like when kids do go back to in-person learning, this period of time will have been really detrimental to their development or we don't really know yet? I hope there's, you know, um, I, I feel like there are sociologists and psychologists probably, you know, taking data now and because there should be, um, I hope, I hope there is, but I, I definitely see it anecdotally, even like in my robotics team, like I, when I notice the students not coming and I call them and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to share, share names just for their privacy, but I, I called a student that wasn't attending and I asked her, I was like, you know, what's going on? Cause she used to participate. And she's like, well, you know, and she's really positive about it. But me look at the situation, I was like, this can't be easy. But she basically has her mom going to work. She has two young siblings. She has to get them on Zoom. She's in high school. Get herself on Zoom. Make sure they're fed, do their homework. She's like, she's like, Ms. Zubair, by the end of the day, I know I have the robotics meeting, but I'm so tired. Like, mm-hmm. I'm so tired. I don't want to sit in front of Zoom. Like, I've just been, you know, so it is mentally, like I see mentally, it's exhausting, detrimental. Um, and I was like, no, I totally get it. And so we found a way, I found a way I could work with her, you know, when, the weekends and stuff but I think mentally it's very difficult uh Mm -hmm. for for our kids especially kids that are in that middle school high school kids because yeah they don't have the social connection like that's hard imagine what us adults are going through right with how difficult this is and now imagine I I know I I had so many issues as a teenager and was so insecure in so many ways imagine what they're going through not having that social connection and now trying to be the best kid they can because they need to apply to college and get them through all these programs and it's like oh my gosh and and like my life is completely 
turned around. Like I can't imagine a teenager's head right now. So I think it is going to have, but I, I, I'm hopeful. I believe in like our teachers and I believe in, because, oh my gosh, like our teachers are like the mentors and everything. And, and I, know, I know for a fact, a lot of my teacher friends are being there for their kids, even more than academically. They're always making sure that kids are emotionally okay, mentally, spiritually okay. And that's why our teachers are so great. I need to be paid more as well because mm-hmm. they serve in so many different roles, especially in communities that don't have psychologists and counselors. They are the psychologists and counselors. And um, so shout out like to our teachers because, so I think because of the teachers, when the kids go back, they'll understand that and they'll be there for them, you know? Um, but, and um but yeah, I definitely think it's going to be different, but you know, it's, it's hard right now and it's going to be difficult. I mean, yeah, academically wise, when they go back, there'll be a lot of catching up. It's just how you can't really effectively learn in the setting. You can't do one-on-one learning. You know, I remember when I was a teacher, I would walk around and help kids one-on-one. You can't really do that in a Zoom setting without leaving, you know, how do you do that when you manage a whole class? So, but, but, but I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful in our teachers in like when they get back that they'll, they'll, they'll be okay. But Yeah. Do you see a future where we pay teachers more and so that we can have more people drawn to this profession and able to like have a stable life and income while still being teachers? I do. That's a big reason why I ran and I believe in it because I believe that we're going to have more people win in these elect in elections who believe in that too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I, a big part of my platform was paying teachers a base salary of 60000 which is still not good enough, but a lot of teachers get paid forty, fifty thousand, and in some other places in the country, much lower. And so I wanted to advocate for that. And um, I actually wanted our teachers in low-income communities to have the ability to be, be paid the best amount because we need the best teachers, right? That's how we bridge equity gaps. We need the best teachers where kids really need it um, as well. And Gabby, that's another reason why if we, if we do things like that, we might have more easier times integrating, right? If we say, well, these schools, we have the best teachers there, right? Mm -hmm. Imagine now parents would want to come there. And so, and we won't have subs there. And so, yes, I do think that's the future. I'm really hopeful. It might take time, like, but I I never lose optimism. I never lose hope. No matter what we're talking about right now, I, I I wouldn't, I don't think I would be running if I didn't feel like, you know, there's a sense of hope. Um, There is hope. There's, I always feel like the universe will lean towards that as long as enough of us are speaking out and running and fighting and doing direct actions and holding people accountable. I do think that's in the future for teachers too. Oh, I love that. <laughs> you know, because, you know, a lot of times we talk about these things and it's just sort of like, well, what do we do? And the people are like, well, I don't know. But I yeah. love, you know, like you have actionable plans, you know how it can work, you know what changes need to be made. And, and I think that does really fill me with hope. It inspires people to do more activism and to be more vocal because it, it there is a clear pathway. We just have to fight our way to it and through it. Yeah. Allison, you know, yeah, the thing is this, right? When you have a city budget or a state budget or national budget, it's like a, well, nationally, it's different because you can, <laughs> that's a whole other story because you can actually create money for these things, right? For But even statewide, it's like a zero sum game, right? It's really where you choose to allocate resources to. Mm-hmm. Right now, a lot of our state budget is still to maintain our prisons, is still towards, you know, policing, is still towards um Honestly, not it's not towards education and housing. Like our, our our funding is really low, one of the lowest in the country. So that's why to me I'm hopeful because it's like if we get the right people in there and just be like, I know I'm making it sound simple, but it's just really about advocating to be like, hey, no, a lot most of our budget, you know, should be towards healthcare, housing, and education. Mm-hmm. Right? It's literally like a pie chart. That's what it is, because that's what they do. The governor presents a budget and the state legislature votes on it. So if we had a governor that would present a promising budget. And even if they don't, if the state legislature can amend it and and bring back a budget, that's humane, right? The problem is right now is we don't have enough people up there. We have some good people, but we don't have enough people in those places 
that are saying, hey, this is immoral and this is mm-hmm. messed up. We need to take mm-hmm. care of our children. We just don't have enough of those people. Because it is just, it is a budget. We choose where we choose to spend money. And right. our state right now isn't valuing our children. Bottom line. And they can, but they can. I love everything you said. <laughs> I don't know how oh. to wrap it up in any way other than to ask you if you would like to play a silly game show. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be good. We talk a lot of heavy stuff, so let's do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> would you mental, like to? Mental health. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because we got to we got to keep the good with the bad. Yes, and we got to keep yes. keep keeping mm-hmm. on. So. We've got to play hypothetical, the America's favorite game show. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so you and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations and you tell me okay. what you would do in that situation or your opinion. Um, yeah. And then I, I completely arbitrarily decide where I want to allocate the points to um, and who's going to get the most points. Much <laughs> like a budget. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. So f- fittingly, our first game is, are you a terrible parent? Okay. Your daughter, 16, really wants a tattoo, but you think she's too young. So you compromise by agreeing to draw the desired tattoo on her arm every day in Sharpie until she turns 18. One day you leave early for work and forget to draw it. That day at school, one of her friends calls her out for having faked her tattoo because it's clearly faded without your daily touch up. Are you a terrible parent? She's pissed. No, because I mean, even just for the things we talked about, like maybe there was an emergency at work and, um, and this is a, like, I mean, she'll get over it. Like I went through things as a teenager and like, it seems really bad then. Right. It seems like the end of the world, but like, I'm sure when she's in her 20s, she's like, oh yeah, that was funny. So I, I don't think she's a terrible parent. Yeah. Why? Well, first of all, who, who is making fun of her? Who's the bully? I know. Exactly. Yeah. Well, all of her friends thought she had this tattoo. And so then her friends were like, oh, you're a faker. Okay, here's the thing. So what what really makes me a terrible parent is that I made her into a liar. Mm-hmm. Because I encouraged her to lie to her mm. friends. So that's where I'm a terrible parent. Not that I forgot to draw the tattoo or that I agreed right. to do this tattoo thing, but that I didn't have her say, look to her friends like look my mom is drawing this on every day just so we can like decide if i really want to do it why is she a liar that's a very good point you didn't know she was lying to her friends until this happened but why did i raise a liar i i do think that the commitment of a parent that would every day draw on a tattoo for their kid is pretty incredible i truly thought that this is right who has time for that that? I truly thought that this was going to go in a direction where she goes to school and out of spite for you, her friend does a stick and poke. And I was like, oh, no, 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 that's not the that's not the feel of hypotheticals. Okay. (laughs) well, I think you're a terrible parent because you've raised a liar. All right. Fair enough. Okay, our next game is, is this person an alien or just rude? Okay. You go over to someone's office for a meeting and they insist you sit on their outdoor patio for the conversation. This would be fine, except it is raining, not pouring, but definitely more than a drizzle. When you ask if you can move inside, they reply, we are water. Water is us. Is this person an alien <laughs> or just rude? And this, is, and this is after COVID. So this is taking place in like 2024. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, I think they're 
being rude? <laughs> because like, why would it just seems like easy? Like, why wouldn't you? Uh, it just seems a little strange. I don't know what I would do. If someone said that to me. I'd be like, what if you see throw me off so much? Um, I, yeah, I just be like, let's go inside. But I thought I'd have a better answer. <laughs> they think it's rude. What would their thoughts be on me opening an umbrella? Oh, they find that offensive. <laughs> okay, they're an alien. <laughs> they're an alien. They're an alien. They have weird customs, and the customs involve not letting other people enjoy themselves. So, therefore, alien. Well, they actually are an alien, but it, it's not about enjoying themselves. That's how they hydrate is through oh. absorbing water through their skin. But they know that I don't hydrate that way. They don't. They, they've done very little research on this planet. They're a terrible alien. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our final game. Would you lie or tell the truth? You are finally meeting your significant other's brother after dating for four months. You've heard great things about him, but when you when you meet him, you find him to be condescending, patronizing, and far too touchy. When your partner asks what you think of their brother, would you lie or tell the truth? The touchy part is what's ringing out to me. Oh, I would tell them the truth because I'm just like, I wear everything on my sleeve anyway. So I just feel like, because to me, like, if I'm thinking of a long-term thing, it, it's important, right? You're going to see this person a lot, this other person. And so if they're making me feel uncomfortable, like, I would say something. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I would I would say the truth. Yeah. No How what. would you say it? Yeah, it d- depends on the person's personality who I was like dating. But I would, with my partner, I, this is going to sound really boring, but sorry. <laughs> I have so much fun after this as Gabby. But, but I would just, I, I would just say, because you said they were touching them too, right? Yeah, yeah they were very touchy you? with you. Yeah, so you, I would just say, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a little uh, uncomfortable. You know, I feel like your brother's in like my personal space and, you know, but I'm also like really nice. So I would also be like, <laughs> yeah, it is hard. Yeah, I'd probably be like, you know, like maybe I need to get to know them more. But I I would probably say like I'm not comfortable with the touching. So, you know, maybe they can tell that to them. But I would still try to like get to know them more because if I just met them one time, right, I maybe I don't know, maybe they're just trying to prove something and they're just trying to be extra. Like, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) it is hard because it's hard. Yeah, in my experience, people take criticism of their siblings quite personally for some reason. Like definitely when someone says something negative about my sister, it it to me is like you said it about me. Like I'm allowed to talk shit, but you're not allowed to talk shit. I, I it's I don't know. It's hard. Uh, I I think I would just bring up similarly. I would just bring up the touchiness. Like I'd be like, hey, like they're a little touchy. And like, I just don't really like feel comfortable with that. You got you remember COVID from four years ago. Um, so like, I'm just <laughs> yeah. still really traumatized by that. So right, I don't these want are to- reasonable answers. <laughs> but mm-hmm. when you do bring that up to your partner, their response is, my brother is me. We are my brother. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and so they then leave you. <laughs> Oh, what? Alien. 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 They were also an alien family. (laughs) That threw me off. Oh, my gosh. Well, then it wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant to be. It wasn't. (laughs) It's really beautiful. Before we let you go back to your life of of advocating for our children and all of us, how how would you rate this episode? Did you have fun? Yeah, I rated infinity. Infinity Infinity out of infinity? Yeah, infinity out of infinity. <laughs> and and you felt that we did a good job as hosts? Yeah, I did. I can't okay. really ask me this. No one's ever asked me this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt like 
Yeah, I mean, you you let me interrupt you. <laughs> I'm just I'm writing it down. Is there is there anything you feel we could improve on? Or? No, I think there was like an honest and I mean this, like I would actually be like, oh, this is something maybe, you know, but I think there was a good rapport. And I really like um, how the conversation kind of went where we let it go. Right. And it, it was felt very natural. So, yeah, that's why I really I really liked it. I Yeah. Thank you really. so and much. Trying to think if there's any constructive criticism, I really am. But uh, maybe you could you could kind of play devil's advocate with your guests and like provide alternate narratives, right? And be like, well, what if this was it? Just to like make it, you know, I'm just thinking that might be like challenge them a little. You want to make them feel comfortable, but that could be something uh, interesting too, right? To be like, well, what about this perspective? Or spice up the content. Yeah, yeah. Or, what, or what do you say about people who say this? Or like, you know, kind of like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that could be Start shit. It's just hard <laughs> because all of your points are clearly correct. That's <laughs> the problem. Yeah, I know. I know. But, you could, but you, know, you could get into the mind of like, you know, right. maybe like a white supremacist and what they would say. And like, no, like, I know what I mean. I'd be like, let's let's unravel, like, you know, why, right? <laughs> I don't okay. really know where this is going, but you know, something no, no, like no, that. No, 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 no. I will. I wrote yeah. on my paper. I, I wrote, it. "Spice it up and start shit." Thank you. <laughs> you know, more drama. More drama is always more better. More drama. Ratings, so. Better ratings. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people follow you and find out more about all the stuff that you're doing and your upcoming campaigns? Hope you know, one day president. Who knows? Uh, well, I wasn't born here, so. Technically, I can't run for president. But okay. I know Schwarzenegger is changing that law, baby. Governor, yeah. governor. <laughs> governor. Yeah. So, so basically, yeah, I'm I'm running again in 2022. So, um, yeah. So, if you want to support, like, um, right now, I don't have like my website's actually been down, <laughs> which is bad because I've been so focused on my delegate race. I'm like, I'm going to fix it. But, but um, at Fatima for Assembly, F O R, I'm on there on Instagram and on Twitter at Fatima the number four Assembly, and I have like. My link, she has all my resources and where you can get plugged in and just anything I'm working on. So feel free to follow me on social media. And like pretty soon, hopefully this week, my website will be a backup again. I just didn't have the bandwidth to, because I've been doing so much organized to be like, I need to go fix my website, but Mm -hmm. you know, I'll do that too. But uh, yeah, but that's where they can find more info. And yeah, I love to collaborate. So if anyone wants to collaborate, you know, just send me a DM and a message and yeah, would love to connect to people. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Fatima for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa D. Monts. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or youtube.com slash justbetweenusshow. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, at Gabby Road on Instagram, at Allison Raskin on Instagram, and at Emotional Support Lady on Instagram, and also the JBU Podcast at, at JBU Podcast on Instagram. Forever Dog. <laughs>